Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. I heard my name. Hello. How you doing? Uh, they asked me that. I don't know what I'd say. I mean, I, I, the default is fine, right? <laughs> fine. Not really. Fine, actually, I think. Who knows? Anyway, it's, uh, what, sunny, beautiful, October 20th, uh, 2021. Um, I have a feeling I'm going to have a... It's mostly a serious show today. Um, I'm looking around at all the fodder I've put together, and uh, pretty serious. Uh, I'll try not to get too, oh, woe is us, but that's just my, you know where I stand on that, woe is us. Why am I having trouble getting started? Come on. I'll start with Paul, because Paul emailed and said, good morning, I'm sure your mother's surgery went off about a hitch. Anxious to hear a good report. Okay, well, I don't know how many of you do want, heaven knows that um, I talk about my family a lot, Susan's part of the show, Um, so it's not like you don't kind of know these folks a bit. And I know I talk about my mom a lot because she's just sort of astonishing. Uh, heading into a hundred and and in such extraordinary health, which is why it was startling yesterday. And uh, Susan let me know that she wouldn't be on the show because she was in the emergency room uh, with my mother, who was uh, complaining of severe pain in her belly. And so, yeah, I. Yesterday when I did the show, I was I I, I was glad to be distracted, um, frankly. Um, But I guess I had told you that they had decided it was her appendix and that they would have to come out. They the appendix would have to come out. It right. Uh, And, you know, Surgery for anybody, even somebody who's healthy at 99, um, that's heavy duty. So anyway, I was rather nervous yesterday, to say the least. So here's the upshot. Uh, She went into the surgery, and um, she came out of the surgery (laughs) without an appendix, and I talked to her last night, uh, maybe about six o'clock, seven o'clock. And uh, extraordinarily, I was talking to her, and she was sitting at home. I don't know about you, but I mean, it's not the norm that you go in and have surgery in the afternoon. Her surgery wasn't until noon. That you have surgery in the afternoon, where you're totally out, and then. Your home? I guess we do a lot of that. But she's almost a hundred. Anyway, she was fine. She was happy. We screen, sh- you know, I 
FaceTime. She looked good. Uh, she was eating some matzo ball soup Susan had made for her. But here's the thing. When they went in, and it was laparoscopic, when they went in to take the offending appendix out, you know, they go in with a camera. And what did they see? They saw not the enlarged appendix that they had seen on the CAT scan. They saw this pink, perfect, beautiful appendix. Whoops. For some reason, they took it out anyway. <laughs> and uh, that begs a lot of questions now, doesn't it? There was nothing wrong. She had unnecessary surgery at 99 plus. There was nothing wrong. Her gut looked better than mine. Everything, as long as they were in there, they thought, well, let's take a look around. They took a look around and happily told Susan later, I mean, everything is just fine. <laughs> but here's the thing. Again, begs the question, what the hell did they go in for? Well, they went in because the CAT scan showed there was a big shadow around the appendix. And it, it, either the appendix was twice as large as it should be, or they were worried, which they told Susan, that there was maybe a mass. They were worried that they were going to find cancer. Because that cat, cat scan was not, did not look like a something was okay in there. So... They go in, the appendix is fine, there's no cancer, nothing. She's in extraordinary health. But she had unnecessary surgery. Now that brings me back to the CAT scan. The CAT scan, obviously, was not a good diagnostic tool because it led the doctors to believe two possible things, enlarged appendix or a mass of some sort, neither of which, there. And what's interesting about this to me is that it wasn't too long ago, and some of you might remember, that I was rushed to an emergency room that would be here in Pittsburgh. Sick as a dog, in incredible pain, but mostly just sick. And I thought it was my appendix. The ER guys thought it was appendix, and they did a CAT scan. And the CAT scan said, nothing wrong here. Everything's fine. But they were confused because they had this really sick woman. 
sure didn't look like everything was fine if you looked at me. So they said, you know, we'd like to keep you overnight. Just keep an eye on you. So they kept me overnight, a night of horror in which I got sicker and sicker and sicker and, in fact, was probably dying. They had me in some out-of-the-way room. I swear nobody ever came. I was They just sort of put me there until some doctor the next morning could tell me to go home. And it turns out, of course, that my appendix had ruptured and poisons were coursing through my body as I lay in a Pittsburgh hospital because a CAT scan had said, something wrong here. And they went with the CAT scan. Who are you going to believe, the CAT scan or your lion eyes? Lion eyes are telling you that woman is like, really? I won't go into brutal detail, but believe me, I've never been so frighteningly sick in my life. The next morning, some cheery resident comes in and says, well, I don't know. That CAT scan looks like we'll be letting you go home. He's looking at a dying woman. We'll let you go home. And I said, uh, hey, yeah. And then about a half hour later, some other doctor came in who I'd never seen, and he looked worried. And he introduced himself, and he said, listen, I, uh, I, uh, I think something is very wrong here. I said, <laughs> he said, I'd like you on the operating table immediately. Um, it's just a hunch I have, but I think we better do it. Well, his hunch saved my life. So I was in the operating room later, uh, in a, in an hour and, um, they found such a disaster area. And they, I mean, the difference between what they found and what the docs yesterday with my mom found is just, you know, as different as it could be. And I later ended up having to return to the hospital weeks later with a violent infection because there had been so much infection in my body. They thought they had sort of corralled everything, but they hadn't. And so I was sick for months and months and months. Um, what's the, the, the similar thing here is, uh, obviously, CAT scan. In my mother's case, seeing something that wasn't there, and in my case, not seeing <laughs> something that was. So I am left and have been ever since that near-death experience here with such a healthy skepticism about medical care and about what these machines that they rely on. They don't, they're not relying on their heads, their own brains. I mean, how would you look at a, such a sick woman and say, we'll let you go home. So 
I don't know. I am left with that's the story. And the story is troubling. Not in regard to my mom, although she had an unnecessary surgery <laughs> and appeared, because this is the way she is, to be none the worse for wear. Um, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I'm, you don't want to be in a hospital. I'm telling you, you don't want to. One of the reasons I guess they let her go home, which was also an odd thing, um, after unnecessarily operating and, you know, sedating and uh, you know, putting under an old lady to then say, all right, geez, okay, you're great. Oh, um, but the reason was, is they knew she wanted to be home. They saw that she was in excellent health and in excellent hands and also COVID. So she wanted to get out of there. Um, I don't know. <laughs> all I can tell you is stay well. That's all I can tell you is stay out of hospitals. Don't want to be in one. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, so one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, today was, excuse me, I'm trying to read something while I'm talking, which is never, it's not my strong suit. I, I, I've been holding on to this uh, for a few days. And this seems, since I'm talking about health in America, this seems as good a time as, as any. Um, because for the richest nation in the world, we sure are uh, humiliating ourselves in in all of the measures, almost all of the measures of what constitutes a good health care system, as you know. I mean, we are an outlier in the worst sense. And um, there was a big headline uh, a few days ago in the New York Times about a public health crisis. And I, I you know, it grabbed my attention, but I was wondering what, what exactly they were talking about since there were so many, so many possible stories that they could be referring to. Since you can poke around in our public health system over here and then over there and, you know, find nothing but machinery that ain't working well. Institutions that are stymied by absurdity in capitalism. Um, but what this article was about was somehow more terrifying to me. Because it was about how, because of the pandemic, because of the Republicans, that the next time around, let's say a new, and I did see something about some new strain found in the UK they're worrying about now. The next thing that comes down the pike, we, believe it or not, are less prepared to deal with. Because one of the casualties of this pandemic in the United States 
has been our public health system, which would, was woefully underfunded for decades and decades and decades, and now has become a political football. Thank you to the Republicans. And because it has now become a part of the political insanity of this era, it has been undermined in huge ways, including here in Pennsylvania. Because one of the things they talk about, while not specifically talking about Pennsylvania, is that states controlled by Republican legislatures have been going hog wild, not only trying to keep people from being able to vote, but also from making sure that public health agencies can't tell anybody anything. They're pissed off about mandates, right? They're pissed off that Governor Wolf mandated this and that. And so they took power away from the governor, you recall. They get to upend any emergency orders he puts out in terms of a public health emergency. Now, I ask you, who would you – well, I'm not going to – here is one, uh, one expert in the field saying, we have learned all the wrong lessons from the pandemic we are attacking and removing authority from the very people who are trying to protect us. Uh-huh. Well, that's who who's we? Republicans are attacking and removing authority from the public health apparatus, however thin and wobbly it was heading into this thing. They're trying to take it out at the knees very time we need it built up. There has been a staggering exodus of people who work in public health. Now, why would that be? I don't suppose that have anything to do with be that it's a bit to do with uh, Attempts on their lives being run off the road by deranged anti-vaxxers, huh? Threats on their very lives. You don't get paid enough to do the kind of work that they're being asked to do with one arm tied behind their back and crazy people with guns at the door. So all over this country, I'm looking at a map. It's most of the states of this country. You know why? Because Republicans control most of the legislatures in this country by a whopping number. Over 30 states, not quite sure how many, 33, 34 They've been passing bills limiting how uh, how long any health order coming from the government can be in place. 
They got laws now where any citizen can challenge any public health restriction. There are states that have actually, Ohio has actually blocked their public health agencies from instituting any quarantines or isolation orders. And as I said here in Pennsylvania, we have limited the emergency powers that the governor has always had. In the last uh, 20 months, over 500 top health officials throughout the country have said, I'm out of here. In the middle of a pandemic, I'm out of here. And you know who's replacing him? I'll give you one instance. Idaho. In Idaho, the uh, the powers that be appointed a new physician, a doctor representative to the health board. And listen to what this doctor believes. He refers to vaccines as needle rape. Mm -hmm. That's the guy now sitting on a health in Idaho. And because they're overwhelmed, short-staffed, short on funds, Cared for their lives, some of them. These health departments have had to stop doing the stuff they were doing before COVID hit. And what was that? That was dealing with drug overdoses. That was dealing often with reports of child abuse. That was dealing with sexually transmitted diseases, which are on the rise. Listen to this. I don't know what county this is, but it says right here in this article that syphilis is on pace to triple in one county in Pennsylvania because they can't stay ahead of what they were doing before the pandemic. Again, it's brought to you by the insane Republican Party and um, where individualism trumps any sense of communal responsibility. Because as we know, communal starts with what? C-O-M-M-U. Commu. So, this is one guy looking at Dean and says, it's a depressing moment. What makes a society if you can't even get 
together around keeping your people healthy? Well, we can't. So I would say what that suggests is we really don't have much of a society anymore. We have learned all the wrong lessons. Dear God. So, told you it wasn't going to be pretty. And then, you know, staying with public health. So, this... This bill, this spending measure that Biden and the Democrats are wrangling over, that Joe Manchin and Cinema are standing in front of, not allowing it to literally pass, is an effort to pull this country a little teeny weeny bit closer to what healthcare looks like in every other civilized nation in the world. And that, of course, is radical here. Radical. I want to find this, uh, this thing I've also been carrying around for a long time here. Let me, uh, let me do it. Okay, so I guess Tucker Carlson was all over Pete Buttigieg for um, uh, for taking parental leave to help care for his uh, newborn twins. He and his husband adopted. I think they adopted. I don't know what they did. They got two little boys, or a girl and a boy. I don't know what they got. They got two little babies. And, you know, the first months can be pretty... Anyway, he took leave. Tucker Carlson was all over him. Let me tell you. Again, there is only one other country on earth that offers no mandated paid leave off for all its citizens to help keep families healthy and help a new child come into the world. There's only two. One is the United States And you know who's keeping company with us? That bustling nation of Papua New Guinea. That's it. In Lithuania, you have a baby, you can take 52 weeks. Excuse me for screaming at you. Norway, 46 weeks. Paid, 100%. If you want a little more, you'll be paid at 80%. Japan, 
very industrious, workaholic kind of a country like us, right? But they mandate 30 weeks paid parental leave. 30. We? Zero. Zero. South Korea, 15 weeks. Iceland, 12 weeks. Slovenia, 12. Spain, 12. Sweden, 12. Us. Zilch. This is what even making a slight dent in in this appalling record and history of Americans not caring for families and children. Even that is, well, Joe Manchin thinks it's just part of, what does he call it? The entitlement. Uh, somehow, all these people feel so entitled. The man with the yacht and the millions of dollars says, looking down his nose, feel so entitled. I don't know what they're entitled to. And when it comes not to parental leave, but just caring for children when they come here again, we are at the bottom. We're at the bottom. Uh, the uh, what we spend as a country, as a government, as an entity on children who are two years old and younger in our country amounts. If you look at our GDP, what where the money is coming from? Where's it, it, the, the prop? Where we're what the money's going to? It ain't going to children. Denmark spends 23000 plus annually per child to make sure they get off on a good footing. We are. I'm looking at another thing here that just makes me cringe. Annual public spending per child on early childhood care. Okay, I'll get out of the Scandinavian countries. Norway, Iceland, Finland, Denmark, you know, they're way up there. Okay, we'll do Germany, 18,000. New Zealand, 10,000. I'll go down. Australia, 8,000. Hungary, 7,000. And at the very bottom... The United States, 500. We're exceptional. In the United States, one in three American kids start kindergarten without any preschool at all. Again, you won't find another civilized nation that that could be said about.
I don't know when we became, well, we can talk about our history, when we became so cruel. Because that's what it is. When we decided that the purpose of government was nothing more than, I guess, to build up a military. And that was about it. It wasn't to build up our families. It wasn't to make people's lives better. No, apparently not. And again, in the public health realm, did you see Rachel Levine? Our Rachel, who, as you know, uh, left Pennsylvania to go to the federal government uh, to... I have a caller. Well, that's nice. Hang on just a minute. Rachel Levine, Dr. Rachel Levine, who is now the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health, next time you see her, she ain't going to look like she she ain't going to be wearing her pearls. I'm just telling you, she has been sworn in as an admiral of the U.S. Public Health Service Commissioned Corps. Who knew there was such a thing? But it is. There is. And she's the first trans four-star admiral. And so she's wearing a military thingamajig. So she won't have to worry about what clothes to wear. I always thought the people who got to wear a uniform, geez, do you know how much time that that saves you? It's like a little post-it note I have, and I probably told you this before, that has two nuns in full habit uh, looking at each other. And one of them is saying to the other, what are you going to wear tomorrow? Rachel doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Okay, caller. Sorry. Go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. Yes. Oh, you answered. You said what I was going to say about we spend it on war, about we don't have money to spend on that because we spend it on war getting people killed. So, you know, and then we have no money for anything because we give it to the rich for tax cuts. So we have no money to do anything anyway, So and nobody wants to pay more, so we have no money to do anything with other than spending on war and tax cuts for the rich. And that's just what it is. I mean, it's it's just pathetic. We're just uh, terrible about everything. But I think some companies do pay for that leave. Some might, but I mean, yeah, yeah, every once in a while someone lucks out and works for a – you know, some employer who actually uh, understands that a healthy, happy, stress-less uh, employee is the best employee you could have. You don't have to bother about people leaving. They stay. They have loyalty to you if you have loyalty to them and care for them. It's unbelievable. And that shouldn't be what private corporations have to do. That is what a government is supposed to do, and we don't understand that. Uh, Ethic. And I wish they could tax that space program. That, that, well, it ain't even a space program. It's a little bit out of the where airplane flies. They that oh, this is going to be a big journey to putting people on this planet. Well, you're not even, you're actually going backwards. You're going, you're not even doing what they did with the moon and stuff. So how can that be any kind of 
it, it's not like you send somebody to another planet. So I don't even it's all bull BS. Well, you know what like it is. I mean, look, we're, we're destroying obviously this planet. And so the the far-sighted uh, rich guys who helped destroy this planet are looking for the next place to go and pollute and destroy. Where only their kind can I guess make the trip. I don't know. It's insanity. No, We've lost our effing minds. Shatner. I All right. Don't like him. I don't like him anymore. <laughs> well, you can't blame him. I mean, he got it. He got. Yeah, yeah, he, he got the money to do. If somebody that. said to you, "Hey, you want to no, take ten minutes?" No, I wouldn't all. do it. No, I, no, I wouldn't either. I, but that, that's because I'm scared. Okay. Yeah, I, I just that's because I knew I'd throw up. I'd throw up. Yeah, I can't do even weightlessness, and I can't. I can't do. I, I can't. I'd throw up, which is why I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I don't even like roller coasters that well. Oh, that would me either. For can't me. do them. Can't do them. Okay. Yeah. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Bye. 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 You know, and and then speaking for uh, you know about you know corporations that maybe have. Uh, Progressive or just smart uh, people at the helm. Remember that guy who founded and headed up Starbucks? I'm blanking on his name. I don't even know if he's still the head guy there. Wasn't he? Plan- he was one of the guys initially when the Democrats were scouting around for somebody to run for president. He was one of the people who was exploring the possibility and his whole story was uh that he was you know he was a more progressive corporatist and uh i'm bringing him up because there was this big article it showed up in the in the actual paper today but i read it i think a few days ago online about an effort by baristas in Starbucks to unionize. And this is just in Buffalo, New York. Uh, They are feeling really unhappy. And so what do workers do when they're unhappy? Yeah, they think we need some Ability to negotiate for, you know, better working conditions. So they're exploring and trying to unionize. Starbucks, corporate, has come down on them with jackboots. I mean, what these poor coffee pourers are being subjected to is intimidation on a level that seems obscene. Big, big, big shots in the corporation have, for some reason, keep popping up in Buffalo, and they just sit. They sit staring at these baristas in their own uh, coffee shops. They say they're there because, well, they understand that they have some unhappy employees, and they're observing. Uh huh. The kinds of stuff they're doing to these poor young people is mind-blowing. Now, I don't know if you hang in Starbucks, 
but I wouldn't give them another fucking penny. I have never. I was in a one Starbucks once, and it was just to meet somebody. But I've never otherwise darkened their doors because, again, I hate these big corporations driving out of business, the, the, the local coffee shops. I hate them. And then engaging in this kind of like mafia-like intimidation. Unbelievable. So, speaking of unionization, that brings us back to Pittsburgh and to the University of Pittsburgh, where the faculty, now this is fascinating, the faculty, and I'm talking professors, not adjuncts, some adjuncts, I guess. I don't know if there's adjuncts in there, because they are. Totally screwed. But professors, even tenured professors, overwhelmingly have voted to join the United Steelworkers. I mean, a runaway success. Over twice as many professors voting to unionize as didn't. And the Pennsylvania Labor Relations Board announced the results yesterday. And that means, according to the Post-Gazette, Pitt's faculty union will become the largest new union of any kind in this country this year. Because it will represent more than 3,000 people at all five of the university's campuses. It includes full-time and tenured professors as well as some part-time faculty. That's amazing. Amazing. I'm sure up there at the Cathedral of Learning in the top floors, they're flipping out. Ha, 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 And Okay. I thought I had something else on unions, but I guess not. Oh, this is the funniest headline I saw. Uh, today. It says January 6th committee to vote to hold Bannon in contempt. Why the hell do you have to vote to hold Bannon in contempt? I've had Bannon in contempt for, I, I mean, five, six years now. Don't you, haven't you held Bannon in contempt? Did you need to vote? He's about as contemptible a human being as you'd ever want. Speaking of that, a friend was over yesterday, and she has, God bless her, she had the good fortune of having left her computer cord or something at her mom's in West Virginia, and she she couldn't use her computer for 
I don't know what, four or five days. And then she dropped her phone, I don't know, and that didn't work and she couldn't. So she, not choosing it, found herself off the internet for a few days. And she realized that she felt better. Physically, physically felt better. Mentally felt better. Emotionally felt better. And so she has now eschewed, God bless you, she has eschewed the more rancorous parts of the Internet. She ain't scrolling around on social media because it is true. It has gotten so ugly, so toxic. And the reason I thought of her just then is she told me that in seeking out other things to look at and to and to feed her prodigious brain, she read something by a, a very conservative guy. But she found much of what he was saying compelling because he was talking about the fact that what he sees as the biggest problem dividing us as a nation. That it's not like hatred of each other. It's different than hatred. It's contempt. And so when I talk about holding Steve Bannon in contempt, it's what that we don't just necessarily dismiss one another, but we hold each other in contempt, which is a lot uglier and multifaceted a, an emotion than just hating somebody. So we spent a lot of time talking about that and how hard it is to let it go. This guy was saying, you have to let it go. We got to, I don't care how hard it is. We really got to try to love other people. <laughs> and I said, fine. Okay. And you know how many people are actually going to try? Not enough. Not enough. You know, there's this conference. Is it still going on here about doing away with hate? There's a big conference. It's, it is tied, I think, to the upcoming third anniversary of the massacre at, uh, at Tree of Life. And they're bringing in lots of folks and talking about hate and what makes people do these terrible things and what we can do to... I guess uh, Nordenberg, the former chancellor of uh, of Pitt, is uh, is spearheading this. Boy, people are tra- he's considered like the wise old 
guy. Everybody wants Nordenberg to head this and head that. He's trusted by a lot of people. You know, I had been in Pittsburgh for about a week. And this weird thing happened with my brother. He uh, he was coming to Pittsburgh. I said, what? I just got here. You're coming? He said, well, I got a uh, an interview at uh, Pitt Law School. Um, he at the time was, I don't know where the hell he was at the time. I, I don't know. He was obviously not where he is now. And um, my memory is, is that, I mean, he came and neither of us knew our way around. Oh, that got my, the fact that my brother was coming, that that's when I tried to go and get a, he likes beer. I tried to buy some beer and that's when I, and I, I like wine. I wanted to get some wine. And my experience in attempting to get those two purchases led to one of the most remembered TV stories I'd ever done. And that I did it, you know, 45 years ago. It was the first week I was here, practically. I didn't know from state stores. I didn't know from beer distributors. <laughs> it was a st- and it was because Bill was coming. It was the same thing. But he and I ended up going to dinner with this guy named Nordenberg. And we went to Minutello's. Is that a place? Yeah. Um, it's not a place anymore. But it was sort of in the neighborhood where I was. Anyway, that was Nordenberg, who at the time was the head of the law school. That's how I first met Mark Nordenberg. He was courting my brother. Nothing came of it. But he's a good guy. And I, he's a good guy. And we're all upper Midwesterners. He's from Minnesota, and we're from Wisconsin. And so there was a lot of, we were immediately comfortable with uh, one another. I'm sorry, that was a total digression. <laughs> this is what happens when you get old. Your head is so full of, you go careening and, you know, off of, I feel like my head is like a, a uh, pinball game. I, and I'm the ball. I'm just bouncing from here to there. And, oh, yeah, that takes me over there. And then, bang, I'm someplace else. And, you know, sorry. I mean, I hope nobody gets whiplash or anything. But I brought all this up because there was one other thing I wanted to share with you that I thought was a very, very interesting thing I read. And it was also in a story in the Post-Gazette uh, written by Andrew Goldstein, who is covering this uh, this convention, this anti-hate thing that's going on at the convention center. And... Um, one of the speakers there said something so fascinating, and I'll never forget it, nor should you. You know how when somebody like this fucking murderous creep who stole the lives of all those people, Tree of Life, in such a crazed, violent manner, and then there's so many like him, all the others, almost invariably 
white men, right, who go into churches and into mosques and into synagogues and into schools. To rid the world of of people that they see as not human, as vermin in some way, be they Muslim or black or Jews. And this woman was saying, when these things happen, be it the horrific at New Zealand uh, mosque shooter, the guy who drove all the way from, I can't remember where, to El Paso, uh, Texas to a Walmart because he knew there'd be a lot of brown people in there and he mowed down a whole bunch of them. These guys and the guy here from the South Hills into Squirrel Hill where the Jews are, he said when we try to make sense of these things, the one thing that stands out is how these guys are referred to as lone wolves or they acted alone. You know, it's like one troubled guy finally reaches a breaking point and goes off and tries to do his thing to save the world. And what she reminds us is Never believe that when you're told they acted alone or they were a lone wolf. Yes, they may have. The guy who did Tree of Life was by himself. The guy who did the horrific massacre at the mosque in New Zealand, he was alone. Not really. Because they are all together. They are intertwined in a virtual community of hate and fear that grows and grows and grows. It's what we're seeing now bringing so much hate into our lives, our political lives, our social lives, all all of that the internet. They are community and they inspire each other. So when the guy in El Paso at the Walmart who mowed down so many people When he was able to speak, it turns out he was inspired by the guy in New Zealand. And the guy in New Zealand was inspired by a guy in Norway. They're part of this intertwined community. So I just found... I'm sorry, I can't tell you who said that her last name is Katz, but she said that white supremacists all over the world, they just eat up stuff about these attacks. 
and they know they'll become heroes in that community and martyrs, and they will inspire others. And the quote in the article is this. All these individuals never met with each other. As every attack happens, investigators will conclude he acted alone. And I'm saying none of them, none of them acted alone. They are all connected to each other. It's something to remember. You know, we have these, yeah, tropes. Uh, a troubled guy acted alone, lone wolf. No, no such thing anymore, almost. No such thing. And so it's important to, to understand what's really happening even if it makes it a little bit scarier. Hey, I just have been dying to get this in, and I see I'm running out of time. Before uh, I go, I might as well do it now. You know, I guess they took Thomas Jefferson's statue out of the New York City Council. He'd been standing there for God knows how long. And I guess the black uh, members of council mostly and others said, you know, I'm sick of looking at that slaveholder. Can we get him out of here? And there's somebody else we can put that's not going to, like, piss me off every time I see his face. So I guess they, you know... They took him down. I don't know who's going up in his place. But, you know, this kind of thing is a slippery slope. I mean, so, you know, what, I, I don't know. What did we rename Washington, D.C.? Because he was a for Washington State. What do we do? And with the, with the um, statues, um, they've been coming down quite a bit. But we also have the military bases. Turns out that I think it's the majority of our military bases are named after traitors. <laughs> Name me another country that does that. They're named after Confederate generals. Traitors. So, you know, there is this effort now. We got to rename all these places. Because Congress ordered that 10 army posts be stripped of their Confederate names. This happened while Trump was president. He, of course, vetoed it because he's a white supremacist. But even his veto was easily overridden. And we got to do this. So there's a commission, they're overseeing And it turns out that in the communities, you know, nobody knew who these guys were anyway. It just becomes, uh, for instance, we'll take Fort Bragg. Uh, there's a black woman I'm looking at, a picture of her, and she says, you know, in a sense, changing the name would be a loss. Because in to her, Fort Bragg is where she's been. Fort Bragg is where her father had been, and it's part of their culture. And they didn't know who this Bragg jerk was. Here's who he was. His name was Braxton Bragg, and he was an ill-tempered 
not very good Confederate general from a slave-owning family. But nobody knows that. Fort Bragg, the largest base in the country. So, you know, there's a big, a lot of people say, let's keep calling it Fort Bragg. Since no one knew this jerk, Braxton Bragg, anymore, they dug up another Bragg, his cousin, Edward. Edward Bragg, turns out, was a union general. How cool is that? And since nobody knows him either, let's just say that Fort Bragg is now named after Edward Bragg, the nice Union general, as opposed to Braxton Bragg, the ill-tempered, lousy, failed Confederate general. You don't have to change any signage. The, you know, I think of the money that would be saved. So it's gaining traction, that idea. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I just wanted to share that with you. I've been sitting on that for a long time. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm a little overdone. Uh, enjoy this beautiful day, and uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.